Welcome, everyone, to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 195, recording this on Thursday, the 6th of September. I'm Steve Litchfield. With me, I have Rafe Blanford. Hello, everybody. Yes, welcome to another All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast or All About Windows for Phones. Um, I guess we've got to the big number, a little little while to go, five more till we get to 200. But I do like the 95 number, Steve. It always reminds me of the N95, which was one of my favorite uh, Symbian devices, I suspect many of the people listening to this podcast will remember it and may even remember us talking and writing about it back in the All About Symbian days. But uh, this time around, we're focused on Windows Phone, of course, um, and we're talking about Windows 10 Mobile, all the things around that. There's a couple of uh, bits of software we would want to talk about, some industry news, you know, new software updates, and no doubt we'll find a few other topics to extend the discussion. I'm looking forward to getting into this, Steve. So what's going to be our first topic? Okay, well, uh, this is uh, something, this is either a complete disaster or a huge resounding success for the future-proof uh, nature of Lumia phones and Microsoft hardware, depending on how you look at it. Now, uh, basically, Microsoft has subcontracted out the the maintenance and servicing and indeed, even did support, basic level support for its Lumia and feature phones going forward to this company called B2X based in Germany. But they are, they've got service partners in, in 130 countries and they themselves have offices in over 30 countries worldwide. So uh, I think they're, they're a fairly large organization. And my take on this, Rafe, is that Microsoft have been gradually dismantling Nokia's quite extensive um, service and repair network and all their partnerships for quite some time now. And people, if they did, say, did contact Microsoft and said, well, my Lumia 930 or whatever is broken, they would basically be let, met by a blank stare or, well, okay, well, we'll ship it off to Germany. You might see it again in two months' time. At least this wave round, in theory... B2X with all their service centers and uh, help dialogues and extensive network. Basically, if you've now got a broken Lumi, you, you get shunted through to B2X, who basically will uh, help you in a more professional fashion and it may actually have a solution and may have spare parts. They may be able to fix your phone in a more timely fashion. So, and given that B2X aren't going anywhere, um, I, I think this is actually positive news that Microsoft said, okay, we're not in the mass market consumer game in terms of making new stuff. And we really don't like maintaining all the old stuff. We can't get, don't want to get our hands dirty with repairing people's phones. We're a software company, basically. So let's just subcontract it all to a, to a nice competent third party. And maybe B2X is that competent third party yeah i mean i think the the thing you have to say about that it remains to be seen um you know i, I think the, the people who are unhappy about this are quite right to say that you know microsoft won't have so much control over it uh, but i think this has been coming for a while i mean you said it, it's sort of a move away from the mass market and maintaining you know a service and support network when you don't have the scale of devices yeah is you know difficult to justify and particularly when you consider there are a lot of Nokia feature phones out there where you know, this would apply to that, as well as the uh, Lumia devices, it really isn't a core focus uh, for Microsoft. I mean, they do something similar for uh, some of their other hardware devices as well. So I'm not really surprised by this. And yes, it's a further dismantling of, kind of Nokia's very famous uh, kind of logistic distribution and, and supply network. But you know that's been coming for a while. And actually... I noticed in the comments of this story, someone pointed out that it's actually been for a while now. A lot of countries have been sending the devices overseas to get them repaired. And they've definitely gradually pared down the support and 
the uh, maintenance facilities. Um, we've also seen various kind of support channels, notably on Twitter and some of the things like uh, uh, some of the social media outreach programs have been paired back. And that's all reflecting of the, of the course. You know, they're not selling the same number of devices. And there's, you know, that strategic shift, you know, go, going right back to more than a year ago now, uh, where Saturn and Adela sort of made it quite clear Microsoft wasn't going to be kind of in the mass market game. Obviously, it's it's really too early to say what it's going to be like. But, you know, as you suggested, B2X are a specialist in, in this area. They will be looking to make money as well. So I suspect, you know, the level of service and the customer care isn't going to be what you might expect from you know, a company that really cares about that. You know, you do look at uh, companies like Apple, it's Apple Care Program. In fact, you can go into Apple stores and that gets, a, quite rightly, a, a tremendous amount of credit. Um, but there are a lot of other phone manufacturers that do something very similar. It's actually been, today, it's quite unusual for them to run their own support and maintenance networks. And it's not really any difference in some senses to the way that a lot of companies outsource the manufacturing. We were talking in the last podcast about OEMs and who was building phones. This, in some ways, is much the same as that. Um, and of course, you know, someone like B2X, because they're dealing with lots of different uh, companies, they can actually offer a scale and therefore the kind of inevitable uh, cost savings for, for that economies of scale that Microsoft can't do on its own. So therefore, the theory is that Microsoft uh, saves money. You know, Obviously, the concern here is that um, the level of service may not be the same. But I would suggest if Microsoft tried to maintain something on its own, it would want to do it in a shoestring way. And it wouldn't be very good either. In fact, I think it would probably be worse. Um, where where this that kind of comes unstuck a bit, I guess, is people will compare it to what happened in the past. And I, you know, the, the times I've used it, it's always had a very positive experience in terms of getting devices repaired and it happening very quickly in the turnaround. And until we've gone through that process, and you know, it'll be anecdotal because people will only tell you about the horror stories, not about when it goes right. You know, wait and see. But yeah, kind of inevitable, really, wasn't it, Steve? Yeah, indeed. I, I think it's positive overall, and hopefully people can uh, have their say in the comments. Most of the comment, the stories over the last few days have got a fair number of comments, and it's been quite fun engaging with the community. Um, let's move on to Ignite 2016, which is um, one of Microsoft's annual conferences. There are that we basically didn't get much of a press release from this, uh, Rafe, but there were. There were lots of uh, slides which, of course, people picked apart, and there's a, a few two things I want to br bring out. First of all, was one of the slide headlines which said, "Continued investments in differentiated first-party devices and device ecosystem." Now, first-party obviously refers to Microsoft itself. This is a Microsoft conference, so basically they're saying continued investments in differentiated first-party devices. Now, to my ears and eyes, that sounds like future. Microsoft smartphones. The word differentiated implies to me that they won't be conventional smartphones. They may well be something different. And I, I kind of think back to my own predictions for a quote surface phone, which I think is an article I did about uh, two months ago, uh, where I was looking at something with a 6.3 inch screen, like a slightly oversized phablet with very high specs and business and productivity enhancements and extra continuum features. I still think that's the most likely, maybe with a, an optional Bluetooth keyboard stroke case, kind of a mini Surface Pro, if you like. Um, does, does that phrase ring any bells with you? Yeah, I mean, it's bit like reading the tea leaves here you can't <laughs> actually, uh, say say what it's about but clearly first party is a reference to microsoft rather than any of its partners 
Uh, and to me, yes, continued investment must mean uh, new devices. Otherwise, it would just be maintenance or even winding down the yeah. investments. And yeah. you know, the Surface Phone has been rumoured so many times. Um, it's quite interesting that they actually choose the plural. It, it is about devices. I mean, we have speculated there might be a couple of variants of a, a Surface device. And I wonder whether, you know, even if it's not continuing the Lumia brand, there may be, uh, you know, Microsoft wants to continue to have a range of devices. It may only be, you know, two or three, three or four, um, but something at the low end, perhaps something in the mid-tier, and then I think pretty much a certainty at that top end. And that's where I think the differentiated bit comes from. I mean, Microsoft in its hardware, actually much like uh, Google has done with uh, its event this week, um, you know, when they talked about their Pixel phones, you know, it was that belief that you needed to do both hardware and software to show off the very best of kind of modern ubiquitous computing. When you start to think about, you know, it's it, things like artificial intelligence and the assistance that's coming in uh, from things like Cortana and the bots we've talked about in the in the past, but also this sense that you know, it's there's a far more comprehensive computing platform that you think about in the future. You know, there has been this division between PC and mobile, and we have seen that come together. But increasingly, we're seeing other forms emerge. And, you know, Google announced the Google Home. We've got uh, the Amazon Echo. We've got smart cars. We've had smart TVs for a while. Microsoft has the Xbox platform. You know, there's a whole whole bunch of things around there, which suggests to me that actually computing devices and the inputs and the interfaces are going to become more varied, not less. And so, you know, that's why hardware investments remain important for the big platform players. And you look at Apple, you look at Google, you look at Microsoft, and arguably you look at Amazon as well. They're all doing that same thing. So to me, that differentiated part means that's where they're kind of trying to lead where they're, and, and then expect their hardware partners to follow. I mean, no doubt that Microsoft is a much weaker position uh, in this mobile space. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to see what the long-term future and goal is. But in the short term, absolutely, it, you know, it, it seems logical. And certainly this statement would back up the idea that there there are going to be continued devices. That, you know, I th- suspect the Lumia brand might well get dropped. I think Surface might come to the, the fore. But it's also interesting to see just that last part, device ecosystem. Clearly, they're going to continue to support their partner devices. And uh, one of the other slides that was, was on, on display was... Uh, yeah. You know, the Alcatel devices, the Veo devices um, from, from Japan, then Acer, Jade Premium, which we were talking about last week, uh, Lenovo, and obviously the HP X3 as well. But interesting to note, there were a lot of other kind of much smaller device makers, you know, some of whom we've seen devices from like uh, Freetail, for example, uh, but something, a new ends, which is the that Japanese device with kind of the wooden material on the back. But some of them, as far as I'm aware, haven't done uh, Windows 10 mobile devices yet, so there's obviously quite a few potentially in the pipeline. So that's kind of um, that's kind of interesting to me as well. Uh, obviously, this audience um, for something like Ignite, with uh, essentially a lot of Microsoft partners and a, a, maybe a business focus, they are trying to present a certain message. But you know, those kind of slides, that kind of announcement and ecosystem momentum doesn't get made up of nowhere. You know, that comes from somewhere. Um, even if it perhaps isn't the, you know, Microsoft don't really intend us to read into it quite as much as we might from a kind of consumer point of view. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the very word differentiated, as you, as you intimated there, covers not only different form factors working together and different intelligence behind the scenes. I think it, it, it means we're not going to make another 5.2 inch smartphone along the lines of just about everything else out there running Android or even running iOS. I, and I'm, I'm quite excited really to see where Microsoft's going to take it. I suspect it's going to be into the, the premium priced and premium sized uh, direction, but then that will be perfect for quite a few of us to, in terms of actually getting work done when when mobile. So I, I for one, I'm not going to complain. And for the example, at the moment, I'm using a, a Google Nexus Six with one of my SIMs and a Lumia 950 XL with the other SIM. So that's two pretty gigantic devices, and I could go larger if they did more. So uh, I think times are changing. Yeah, I have to say, I secretly hope that they continue to do a a 5.5 inch device that's sort of at the premium in terms of specification and materials. Um, and, and, you know, uh, the big screen speculation is interesting. And certainly there's been some you know, rumors around that sort of thing as well. But also I think differentiated can mean things like they did with the, the surface line of kind of transform or tablet devices where they put the kickstand on, they had the kind of removable keyboard and that's become a segment of computing. This you know, kind of laptop stroke tablet hardware that's now quite familiar because there's lots of other people who have followed. But back when it was first announced, that was pretty innovative. That was pretty differentiated. So I wonder if they can do something similar in phone hardware. And, and yeah, as you say, one root of that is screen size. It's, it's worth thinking about what else that could mean, though. Yeah, yeah. I think again, we've mentioned this numerous times in the last decade or two decades. But the old <laughs> Cyan Five MX Palm Top. Thinking of the now, I know we wouldn't want to go down the route of mechanical hinges and ribbon cables that fail, all of that. But the idea of having something like a Lumia Nine Fifty XL, maybe twenty percent larger screen and with higher internal specs, of course, but then a foldable cover that will act as a kind of a stand to rest the phone screen on. And on the front cover of the flap of the of the case would be a slimline uh, Bluetooth keyboard that can, it just connects wirelessly, obviously, with the phone. And it would it would really would mean a kind of a laptop in your pocket. And that's the sort of thing that's always excited me. And, and it's, this is not a new thing. I was trying to get doing that sort of work, that sort of productivity, that sort of uh, uh, writing and PIM and productivity and email on the go back in 1995, 96 with the Cyan 5MX. So uh, I don't say that's exactly where I want to get to 27, <laughs> 22 years later. So what goes around comes around. But um, yeah, I mean, and it's interesting. You say the more thing, more things change, the more they stay the same. And it would kind of make me smile if it, if it did become full circle. Now, Steve just made uh, alluded to how long he's been in mobile and he did <laughs> promise a while back uh, uh, all about steve litchfield podcast yeah. which is definitely coming because i've had a, quite a few people email me to suggest some questions or say that they really want to hear it uh, so that that is coming i just don't want to spring it on steve completely by surprise so when we have uh, a quieter week and once we've actually done a bit of planning to work out which bits of uh, Steve's very long career we're going to highlight uh, we'll get back to that so i promise that in a future podcast I think you should highlight on my my stint as a rock musician, but uh, no, no, no. Absolutely. <laughs> I think we should do the um, all about Steve Litchfield episode near Christmas, Rafe, and maybe that yeah. can be a holiday special. Okay, that sounds like a good plan to me. Yeah. Well, one of the uh, highlights I can can hint at though was Steve had a, a, a previous career. I think in it was just describe it as the aerospace industry. And just before I was getting on an Airbus plane for the first time, he goes, "Oh, wouldn't do that. I know how they're put together." Yeah. That made me nervous for that entire trip. So thanks for that, Steve. Uh, but we'll we'll revisit some of those stories, as he says, near Christmas.
Okay. Well, one of the positives I did want to bring out from the Windows 10, Windows 10 mobile ecosystem was the number of universal Windows platform apps. They're still com- coming out. They're still being updated. There are still some jolly good ones as well. I highlighted three this week on the site, uh, just to take them in order, fairly rapid fire fashion, Ray. First of all, there's um, the rather cumbers- cumbersome titled uh, Maps apps, I can't find it. Maps app discovery, which is really does not roll off the tongue as you just found out there. Why, why they couldn't just call it Google Maps for window, Windows. It takes the whole of the Google Maps APIs and the street view imagery and the live traffic, all of that stuff, all in a very slick universal Windows platform application that runs under Continuum. I've got a shot of it running on a Continuum secondary display. It doesn't go as far as the real-time navigation, but you can kind of excuse that. This is using all the public APIs and using them very well. And the main point, Rafe, is that it's a really good UWP that runs very, very smoothly on all our Windows 10 mobile devices. Uh, and that's the point there. It runs across devices. Just to be clear, in case people are wondering, this is kind of a third party. This is not Google suddenly changing their mind <laughs> and doing something. Although, you know, arguably with the UWP apps, it would kind of make more sense now, especially if you think about all the kind of uh, laptop and tablet and sort of transformer devices out there. I mean, I think it's more justified. But it, I, I think this is also interesting because it's a demonstration of actually how much mobile apps now are kind of built on top of APIs and this gets a, you know, a lot of the functionality of Google Maps, at least in the core place, um, available. And that's just through a public API. Now, the rest of the functionality of Google Maps, I'm pretty sure, and in fact, I'm certain, comes through APIs as well, but they're private or they're paid for, um, particularly in the case of uh, navigation and some of the more sophisticated features. Uh, but it, to me, it's quite interesting that the app itself has come from a third party. And it just goes to show that actually if you like this presentational layer, the app itself is actually only a small bit of the work. Actually, most of it comes, of course, still from from Google and the API. Um, And I think that's something we're going to need to see more of because obviously um, you can create this app and it runs across multiple devices. That's the benefit of UWP. But of course, you might also want to make it available for other devices as well. And, you know, that kind of uh, tier architecture is something we've seen a lot of in the mobile app space, but I think it becomes even more necessary and actually, I think even more of the what you know the business logic that used to go into apps is now sitting in a, an experience API layer. Then you've got the service API layer and typically legacy systems beneath that. Uh, for companies like Google, probably not so much um, on the legacy side because they, you know, they they are very good at updating all the underlying technology. But I, you know, I actually had a quick go with this because um, I do typically just use the built-in maps. Um, but sometimes Google Maps provides better coverage, or you just want to use it for search or something like this. And like you say, it's incredibly slick. Um, and of course, as using it on uh, you know, a, a tablet device or a Surface, you know, typically you'd just go to the website and use it there. But you know, sometimes there's something to be said for having kind of that app-like experience and you know, it does take away some of the advertising. So yeah, thumbs up for me as well. I was kind of impressed by this one because it, it's, it's been well thought out and it's very slickly done as well. Yeah, and also slickly done is Newsflow, which is an RSS reader. Now, this is something, a concept kind of going back a decade, really, before Google Reader existed and then before Feedly existed. But there's still something to be said. If, say, you've got, Rafe, uh, I don't know, 10 particular sites or news sites or feeds that you, you really find that's where your core most interested, most critical stories come from, then rather than wait for an aggregator like Google Reader, as it used to be, or Feedly these days, to sort of pick up on those feeds and then serve them to you in a particular fashion, uh, either through their own application or through a third-party app, you can actually get your phone to 
to refresh those RSS feeds, those Atom feeds, those XML content feeds from those sort of 10 critical sites and, and serve up the headlines and content direct to your phone. And Newsflow is an application at UWP again. It runs, say, on tablets and other form factors and continuum. Uh, really, really slick, Rafe. I would uh, question whether having a direct RSS reader is appropriate if you've got lots and lots and lots of feeds, because it may well start to get a very inefficient and b sort of take take up too much bandwidth in terms of your cellular data. But uh, certainly, for for a modest number of sites, Newsflow is really, really slick and really useful. Yeah, and it's interesting. I can't believe we're kind of having to justify or talk about what an RSS feed reader is, because it used to be absolutely what i use to keep up to date with news but <laughs> because of you know things like uh, all the social feeds and twitter uh, actually it, that becomes just as much a, a source of news but uh, I, I still use feedly and use that as a way of keeping up to date with things and actually there are various ways you can get at that on a, uh, a windows 10 mobile device um, but yes if, as you say if you're maybe anything up to 20 or 30 feeds and want to act, have you know the direct access this is a traditional old school way of doing things and i suspect there are actually still quite a few people you know who use it for that exact purpose um and as you say again you know this is this is slickly done um because it's using a lot of the kind of the built-in controls it works well across all the different uh form factors um and actually it's just you know this is a perfect example of the advantage of writing a, a uwp app and this kind of vision of having the same experience across all the devices and it'd be that on a, yeah. a continuum display on a you know a laptop or a tablet or even on the desktop um, PC, uh, it, it is really interesting. I see all these coming, and I'm just surprised people don't talk about it as a a bigger advantage. But I think that's probably just an artifact of the fact that the the bottom end of the ecosystem in terms of device size, i.e. the mobile devices, just you know aren't that present in people's minds. You know they they just aren't available in the same numbers. Um, it does make me wonder also whether Microsoft could work harder to promote some of these apps on the uh, on the desktop and laptop devices because um, you know i think people are quite familiar with the idea of apps on on phones but it's interesting to me that it hasn't caught people's imagination in quite the same way on their laptops and i guess that's because people are so used to living in the browser and you know it, it's just not the same mindset it's maybe not the personal devices the launches are different uh, but i always expected that to catch on more than it did in you know and this is talking about maybe the last five or six years um, you know, but you see the same on on the Mac platform as well with the Mac Store, uh, and arguably that's that's a whole different question, and there's some issues around that. Um, but the Windows Store, you know, does make it easy to get these things, and yet they don't seem to get quite the attention they deserve. Uh, but that's why I'm more than happy to talk about something like this on the podcast. Absolutely. And also a third UWP I wanted to mention, Perfect Weather Universal. And the key selling point here, Rafe, in addition to providing weather forecasts, um, as you might expect from the existing Windows 10 weather application, this adds kind of subtleties like the, the, the phases of the moon are shown graphically as if the moon's visible in the sky, it's shown within the interface with the right moon phase. If the sun's in the sky, it kind of shows at roughly the right position in the sky. And also with the color of the background representing, you know, dusk or sunset or or in the middle of the night and so forth it's, it's really quite slick it's kind of cutesy in a way um but it's, it's well done you can even theme it and put different kind of cartoon graphics and, and style graphics just to add add a bit of extra character it's a really nice alternative and you can have uh, a couple of different live tile styles as well which animate in in a, in a predictable uh, predictable fashion to give you a forecast so again highly recommended perfect weather universal 
yeah, it's nice to see a weather app that sort of uses visualization to communicate information rather than just having it all in text and also the you know offering up the option of additional theme through a I think it's a one dollar ninety nine purchase. That's just such a great way to do it because uh, rather than having a subscription or something like that. Uh, and yes, it, it may be cutesy, but actually, you know, for something like presenting the weather, it's 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 a nice way to do it. And uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I think this is a good example of an app that's actually taken some visual cues from other weather applications, improved on them, but still kept it feeling like a, a Windows 10 application. You know, it still respects the basics, but I say using that kind of visualizations to represent information, you know, graphically or as you say by showing them on the screen in the appropriate place or using color in a, a clever way, you know, that kind of design just, just appeals to my sense of what feels right about a mobile app. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to skip ahead in the show notes, Rave. I wrote a feature called One Year into the 18-Month Redstone 2 Beta Test. Now, I realize that you do use other platforms and that you may not be following along with all the different insider builds, Rafe. So I, I will excuse you if you're kind of letting some of this run out, running over your head. But my contention is that... Basically, when Windows 10 Mobile appeared, which was basically something like last September, so basically a year ago today, Microsoft released it. We all knew it was fairly buggy and incomplete, and it has gradually got better. But there are still major, not, maybe not show-stopping bugs, but annoyances. And I was listing some of these in the feature uh, in, in, on AAWP. Uh, my contention was that it still needs another six months of development, and we ha had all sorts of um, people saying, well, Redstone 2 is when the, the Surface phone might come out. Redstone 2 is when the platform really matures. Uh, Redstone 2 is when a lot of the annoyances you've been complaining about, Steve, will be finished. Now, we have access to Redstone 2 via the fast string, and I've got an editorial coming on up on that very shortly. So I've now got both my Lumi 950 devices and 950XL on Redstone 2 fast beaters. And I'm still finding annoyances. Am I being too harsh, Race, and call, calling this an 18-month beta starting a year ago and extending six months into the future? I don't mind being on the beta. I enjoy the ride. I enjoy the excitement of things being fixed and, and annoyances that were annoyances last week suddenly being solved the following week. That makes me get, get up in the morning. It makes me happy. But <laughs> I can absolutely understand. This is just a anathema for the anybody who wants to use it day to day and a general user. Yeah, and, and actually that expresses quite well one of the reasons I'm not going through all the latest betas with the, the main Windows device I'm using. I mean, I do have access to a couple of others, so I do try and keep up to date. Um, but some of the differences in some of the updates, particularly early on in the cycle, are kind of less noticeable and there's kind of less reason to do it, if you will. Um, I, you know, I, I think you're per perfectly reasonable saying that. Um, I, you know, I do wonder, you know, there's two thoughts for me here. Is, is this just a difference in the way that software is being developed between what we used to have with uh, Nokia, where they had a lot of software engineers dedicated to, to mobile and dedicated to integrating devices? And, you know, they had long experience in that. And actually, it was a world where actually the software updates were fewer and further between. And particularly if you go back further, you know, this idea that you could update software on a phone it's actually something that really only got introduced. I guess it was with the kind of the Nokia seventy one ten and this, you know, when they added the web browser and they needed to do firmware updates. Before that, no one thought about doing that. Obviously, that continued on with the Symbian devices, everything else. But it's got worse and worse <laughs> to my mind in, in some ways over the years. And this expectation that you will need software updates and you will get them. 
I mean, it's a double-edged sword because it's frustrating, but it's great when you do get the new functionality or you do get things improved or new features. But going alongside that, it does seem to be an attitude that it's all right to have uh, bugs and things in it. I mean, that that's the thing that goes back to VisiCap with its kind of errors and omissions accepted. And you know, previously, you know, warranty has been sold with this stuff to guarantee it worked. But, you know, VisiCap, you know, that first spreadsheet software, it, they couldn't do that just because they didn't have the scale to do it. And ever since then, software has come with limited warranties. Um, and it's just an extension of this for the phone. But to kind of focus back on, you know, Windows 10 Mobile in particular, it, it does feel like it has been an ongoing experiment. But is that not the price you have to pay for being in the beta program? And we complained before about not getting early access to software updates. And now it's a lot better. I, I think you can actually make this same argument for the more stable releases as well. Um, and it's been frustrating that... that I mean, you, you mentioned some of the um, kind of media playback bugs or particularly display of controls. And I find I still see that sometimes very irritating. And, you know, it, it's just you're doing regular things and it should just work. And for some reason, it doesn't. It falls over. Um, but I, you know, as you say, I use multiple devices, multiple platforms. I don't think my use of uh, Windows, it, it's any worse or particularly better than either iOS and Android. There were always these unexpected glitches. iOS always used to be a bit more stable, at least that was my impression of it. Um, but it's, I think it's got worse, um, and there's all the kerfuffle around iOS 10 and some of the things there. Android's always been a bit like that. I mean, that's more difficult to judge because the kind of the versions are so much more fragmented depending on which device you're on. There's so many variations. It's who to know. Hard, it's hard to know who to blame there. But I actually think it's one of the curse of modern smartphones and it's one of the trade-offs you've had to accept for getting these more frequent software updates and this idea that, you know, you buy a phone and actually you will get next year's software on it next year and even maybe the year after that as well. And that does add new features and sometimes it can slow down the phone. Um, honestly, I, I, I pity, you know, consumers or people who aren't particularly interested uh, because, you know, those decisions often get made automatically the software gets updated or that you know just say oh would you like to update the phone you can understand why people say yes um, or they get frustrated by a bug that they don't understand why it's there and they don't understand how to get it fixed um, but is that not just the trade-off we have to live with with smartphones today or, or would you prefer a completely different way of doing things I think people just don't appreciate how complex. I mean, I've said this numerous times in the podcast. Yeah. A modern operating system is insanely complicated. Think about the number of background services and network tasks and, and cleaning up things and background agents for this, that, and the other, and, and Twitter and Facebook Messenger and all your other comms programs all trying to get their aura in and respond to events and all of this in real time and, and without things falling over. It is insanely complicated. I agree with you that I think I mean, the Android world is so fragmented. I, I found that if I stick to a Nexus device and stick to production devices, then I've got a pretty stable experience. I'm, I kind of stay a few rungs behind the the bleeding edge on the iOS iOS world, iOS world with my iPhones and iPads, and they're pretty stable. I would say Windows 10 Mobile is less stable, but then I quite often I am on one of the insiders' builds. And also, when I try and use something like a Lumia 950 XL, it's with the express intention of doing everything on it. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a real power user. That's everything from all my communications, all my work, all my podcasts, all my media watching, everything through the one device, because I'm trying to push it until it falls over I'm just, on the grounds that if I make it fall over, I can mend it and I can write about it for the site. <laughs> 
So because, because I'm really trying to be a power user, I do push these devices. I suspect the average man in the street using, for example, a Lumia 650, just as sort of a, a, a Facebook and, and their address book, I think they'll have no problems at all. Yeah, that is an, an interesting comment because I, mean, I think the same applies to computers in that, you know, once you start pushing them, that's when you typically see the problems. Now, there are occasions, and I'll be certainly willing to admit this, where it's a very common problem and everyone faces it. And actually, that's when it tends to make the headline news and it ends up on the BBC website and some update is, you know, making the phone fall over or um, the battery life isn't what it should be. But leaving those aside, kind of the typical everyday stuff, uh, I'd agree with you. And yes, um, it does become more obvious if you really push the device. But you know, there's a reason I called it a computer just then. Actually, these devices, as you say, are much more sophisticated than they ever used to be. And the range of things that they can do is much more, you know, when Nokia first talked about, you know, smartphones being multimedia computers, people kind of laughed it off or thought it was was amusing. But now these devices are probably capable of doing as much, if not more, than the kind of mainstream PC computing devices that were sitting on people's desktops at the time. Now, there are still some limitations in terms of software, and obviously everything else has moved on as well. So, you know, it's a bit of a stretch. But... um, for a lot of people, the smartphone is their primary computer. You know, yeah. looking at the statistics, you see even something like uh, Facebook, for example, they've now got to the point where roughly 980 million of their monthly active users only access the service through a smartphone. Um, and if you look at some of the Ofcom stats, for 16% of people in the UK, the smartphone is the only computer they have. And then for a very significant portion, I mean, the, depending on how you define it, up to 50 or 60 percent the smartphone is their primary computer and actually when i think about my usage time on it in terms of personal tasks rather than work actually i probably do use the smartphone more for personal stuff than i ever use you know the surface or a desktop pc and um and so that reflects that it has become my primary computing device it always used to be that smartphones were companion devices or add-ons or extras or personal assistants and going back to the pda days but you know, so I expect that complexity and that kind of instability and whatever. And yeah, it's not great. I would love it if it was different. But you know, that does reflect the fact it's a computing device first and foremost. And the phone stuff has almost been forgotten. And they are very stable as phone device. If you just use the phone and the messaging functionality, yeah, it's never going to fall over. If you if you push it with other stuff, yeah, that's when, when that's when you run into problems. It's rather telling that when I do review phones, I almost never uh, give any thought whatsoever to actually making phone calls or sending text messages. Those, those things are, are completely in the background and taken for granted. And for most people, making phone calls is one of the you know, like number 10 on their list of priorities for a smartphone. And as you say, the, the screen and the speakers and the, the uh, compatibility with applications and games and communications, those yeah. are all the, and, and the social stuff, that, those are their priorities. And making phone calls are very much, although the things, the feature phones used to do they're very much in the background uh, but we shouldn't underestimate that's still you know an impressive thing and the fact that that will work seamlessly without even thinking about it is kind of testament to the the software that underlies it in itself Um, and the bit reason people don't worry about it is it's just assumed to be there and the quality is is sort of good enough and actually you know there are things you know i mean looking out for i can remember when hd calling came in and looking for phones that supported that and making sure your operator supported it but these days you know um uh, I once was talking to someone, oh, it's just a few weeks ago, and they were complaining about the call quality. turned out that they were making all their calls through WhatsApp and uh, WhatsApp calls. <laughs> and it was nothing to do with their phone, but they didn't kind of quite realize that. 
but you know that that's a sort of the fact it's even able to do that is just every now and then it's still good to have a sense of wonder about what smartphones can do yeah you mentioned the n95 at the start of this podcast and i'll leave people with a thought that i have mentioned before it's not it's not a i'm regurgitating my own uh, thoughts to some degree but if you think back to 2007 the nokia n95 had just come out it's groundbreaking multimedia computer the number of things it could do the number of gadgets combined one one phone was just astonishing and yet it was small screened and there were there's limited internet abilities in terms of web browsing and of course the iphone appeared that same year very very limited in terms of the functions it could do the exact opposite of the n95 but with a very good web browsing experience um, and then if you look at those two devices each on its own very very flawed very fallible but very groundbreaking in their own ways and then combine those two devices from that one single year you end up with the whole of the current smartphone market from the whole of today's smartphone world uh, devolves from those two core devices both released in the same year and both pivotal i would say yeah, and, and it's really great point that, and everything within them now has sort of become commoditized and sort of is available in almost every smartphone. The kind of degree of quality experience you get does vary, and that's why it's such a amazing thing to write about um, because it has become so universal. And, you know, whatever figures you look at, eighty percent of people in the UK have a smartphone, so over fifty percent uh, worldwide. There's more than two billion of them on the planet. And, you know, that capability is, is really quite amazing. Um, and, of course, they're also going to be the vessels for the, the next generation of, um, you know, computing. And it was something that Google's touched on. Microsoft has talked about it. Apple's talked about it, kind of artificial intelligence and assistance. And, you know, these devices are going to, you know, I think it's almost going to be another quantum leaping in computing. And people talk about the idea of com ubiquitous computing it being available everywhere, anywhere, you know, kind of however you like. And I think it will actually spread way beyond, um, you know, smartphones. It will be available in the home, in the car and everywhere else as well. But the smartphones are still going to be central, central to that. But rather than talking about kind of the hardware and everything they combine, I think we'll be talking much more about how they're kind of, you know, almost remote controls and assistance for our, for our life. And, and that's going to be great to talk about. And I think we'll be, touching on that in podcasts in, in years to come steve so yeah it's a good 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 thought to end on there with the n95 and the iphone kind of giving birth to the modern smartphone and then just thinking about what comes after that yeah well one thing i would like to come back to in the next podcast maybe is just thinking about the microsoft band which you heard this week is they're they're scaling back the band ambitions of microsoft's first party wearable i know it's not directly windows 10 mobile and windows phone related but it's interesting so maybe we can start with that next week and then and see what other news pops up between now and probably next tuesday or wednesday so we've only got five or six days of news rafe i'm sure we'll find plenty to talk about but i'll say goodbye and i'll let rafe sign off yeah i'll sign off as well thanks as ever for listening and don't forget to tune in next time.